Well, we're in a series that we're calling Reset. And the reason is wear and tear, time and trouble take its toll and knock things out of whack. I'm reminded of that, that when the electricity, when we lose electricity in our house, all of the appliances with clocks have to be reset. That's not too much of a problem in our house. Kim's pretty good at resetting things. But I have to reset the alarm clock in the bedroom. I'm okay getting the time, but whenever I have to reset the time, I also have to reset all the radio stations. And I, every time I have to take out the little booklet and find it, you think I would know it by now. We lose electricity like once a month or so, it seems like. Well, as we go through life, wear and tear, time and trouble, knock things out of whack. And you've probably noticed it. We begin to doubt maybe what we say we believe about God. We begin to wonder if those stories, those narratives are true. And we begin to doubt what promises we used to know and trust. And so we need to reset our minds and our hearts on a regular basis to make sure that we're living in tune and aligned with what God says. Well, we started looking at the crisis in the story last week. We're going to continue that this week by looking at the end of Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 3. I'm going to read the first 15 verses, then I'll kind of jump to the end. And we're going to look at sin, consequences, and cure. But before we do that, I want to make a comment, and you can test this over, not just over the next couple of weeks, but over the next few months and years. I submit to you, that the Bible alone gives us what we need to understand life and reality as we experience it. For example, have you ever noticed people are incredible? People are sacrificial, philanthropic, protective, loving, kind, generous. People are great, right? They sacrifice their well-being to help other people. And have you also noticed people are terrible? People are, are cruel, they're violent, they exploit to get their own way, they'll stab you and anybody else in the back to get ahead. How in the world can people be good and bad? How can people be amazingly beneficial and benevolent and terrible and violent? Well, the Bible is the only source I know that supplies the answer to both of those. We're kind and protective and benevolent, because we're made in God's image and we reflect that character. Whether you're a believer or not, you reflect something of God's image. But human beings are also fallen and sinful, and that's where all the terrible stuff comes from. So the Bible gives us both of those themes, and we find them both right in the first few chapters of Genesis. We're made in God's image, and all the goodness flows out of that. But we've turned our backs on God, we rebel against him, and all of the evil flows out of that. So if you have your Bibles, if you use the one in the seat rack, that's page two. We've moved on to page two now. And uh, let me read the first 15 verses, then we're going to jump down to verse 21. And let's read about the consequences and cure of the sin problem that we not only hear about, the sin problem that we experience. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it 
or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man said, uh, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jump down to 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed him on the east side of the garden of Eden, that cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Right, well, let's start with a little review. Um, if you were here last week, don't fall asleep. This is going to be real quick. We're just going to breeze through. If you were not here last week, uh, do a real short summary of where we were. And if you were here, I don't want you saying or saying to me afterward, Charles, you can do a review of what you talked about last week in two or three minutes. Why don't you make the sermon two or three minutes long? Well, there's a lot more information we had to pack into a sermon. Well, here's our review. We started by looking at Genesis 3 last week and reminded ourselves of Genesis 1 and 2 where God creates everything and the creation is amazing. God makes human beings in his image as the pinnacle of creation and God sets them up over the rest of creation. But God creates human beings in his image so they can be in community with him and they can share that relationship to some degree, Father, Son, and Spirit in that eternal community, God makes people in his image to in some way share in that community. And God makes the rest of creation. And we're told in those first couple of chapters, peace, harmony, and partnership reign over everything. There's peace between human beings and God, peace between human beings with each other, peace between the rest of creation and human beings. Peace, harmony, and partnership in every dimension. An amazing beginning. We also looked at the end of the story last week, not the end of Genesis, but the end of the Bible from Revelation chapter 22. And we said that the ending is awesome. And if you remember, there's a tree of life in Revelation just like there is in Genesis 1 and 2. There's paradise, the presence of God. In fact, we have the echo of creation in the new creation. 
And lo and behold, the end of the story is actually a new beginning. It's an ultimate do-over. It's an ultimate reset. An amazing beginning, an awesome ending. Well, then we ask, well, why aren't we experiencing all that peace, harmony, and partnership? If that's the beginning of the story and the end of the story, well, there's a crisis in the story, and we just read it from Genesis 3. The crisis is all about sin. Now, sin isn't just, you know, finding out what all the details of God are and checking off all the do's and the don'ts. And if you kind of step out of line, it means you sin. Yeah, but there's something underneath. There's the sin underneath all of the sins. And we tried to explain that by looking at a couple of triangles. Uh, So here's our first triangle. We said when God creates everything, obviously, he is at the top of the triangle. And everything else is part of creation. So we have Adam and Eve on the one side. We've got the serpent and the rest of creation. They're kind of on those bottom two angles. God infinitely above, infinitely beyond. Human beings and the rest of creation connected to God as the creator. Human beings made in God's image, but nowhere near God's holiness and glory on a lower level. Well, what is sin? The sin under the sins is 120 degrees turning of the triangle. And now, when you turn the triangle 120 degrees, human beings are now at the top of the triangle. And notice God has been relegated to the bottom of the triangle. And that doesn't mean that God isn't asked his opinion. That doesn't mean that, you know, God's not asked, well, bring in your recommendation, bring in your plan, bring in the spreadsheet. I'll do a cost-benefit analysis. But what's the problem? Adam and Eve, you and I, slip into God's seat. That's the problem. And I think that a better translation of that word know, when it says, um, when the serpent says, God knows that when you eat from the tree, you will know good and evil. That really is better described as as to decide. You'll be like God if you eat, you deciding good and evil. Notice if God's at the top of the triangle, he's the one deciding good and evil. And what human beings should have done, what Adam and Eve should have done, what you and I should do every day, is live in light of what God calls good and evil. But when you rotate the triangle, all of a sudden we assume the position of deciding good and evil. That's the rebellion underneath all the sins. Adam and Eve, they ask for God's opinion. God gives his recommendation but they're going to decide now. And they take Satan's advice, they take the serpent's advice, they take God's counsel, and what do they do? They decide to go with the serpent rather than God. When you slip into the top of the triangle, that's the rebellion underneath all of the little sins. That's the crisis in creation. Demoting God and promoting yourself. Well, that's kind of where we ended last week. But... What are the results of that? Like what, what actually happens because of that? And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to discover that the ultimate result is alienation. If community was the message before Genesis 3, alienation is the message after Genesis 3. And here's what you discover. 
just as human, but just as Adam and Eve had community with God, they understood who they were. They were in community with other people and even in sync, peace, harmony, and partnership with the rest of creation. After the fall, alienation now reigns in at least those four areas. In fact, you may have heard the term uh, before somewhere in your experience, total depravity. That does not mean that human beings are as bad as they could be. It's not what it means. What total depravity means is every aspect of human being, every aspect of people have, has been tainted by the fall and by sin. To every aspect of our being is now colored and tainted by the fall. Well, let's uh, talk about these uh, different forms of alienation. The first alienation that comes is spiritual. And the spiritual alienation means that we are now, Adam and Eve, and we continue in their legacy, we are cut off from God. In fact, um, I'm not sure you noticed, as I read, but maybe the saddest words in the Bible are, God showed up in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid from him. Hmm. For the first time, people were uncomfortable in God's presence. The implication of that phrase is that God would show up regularly at the cool of the day, but rather than hiding from God, couldn't you just imagine every other day in the cool of the day, in the evening, God shows up and they can't wait, right, to be in God's presence. Kind of like your dog when you come home, right, happy to see you, come running. To, um, yeah, but this day, hiding. This day, running from his presence. This day, knowing they are now unfit to be in his presence. Uncomfortable in his presence. And you know what? From Genesis 3 through the rest of the Bible, that's exactly the story, isn't it? Human beings are always uncomfortable in God's presence because we know we're not fit for his presence. And so even people that are believers in God, God shows up and they're trembling in his presence. God shows up and they're quaking in his presence. God shows up and they're fearing. Before Genesis 3, there was no fear because they were fit for his presence. They're made in his image and they couldn't wait for him to get there. But after sin, now they're separated, cut off, alienated from God. That's the ultimate alienation that the others now flow from. Here's an interesting one. Psychologically, they're cut off from their true self. Um, let, let, let me try to explain it this way. Uh, remember our triangle, right? You can do that. So we, how God created, God's at the top, right? So this is kind of the God circle up here. The rest of creation down here. So God makes all the physical stuff and God makes all the animals and the birds and the fish and all that. And God amazingly, I, I was working on Psalm 8 this week too. God kind of puts human beings in the middle of that. Do you ever notice that? And so unlike the rest of creation, unlike the other animals, unlike the fish and the birds, human beings are made in God's image. They're not God. They're nowhere near that circle, but they're not like the rest of creation. They're in God's image. What happens after the fall? They lose a sense of who they are. And so here's what happens. If you have the three things, God up here, the rest of creation down here, human beings in the middle, Here's how this perversion works itself out. In some circles, some people, and you may be tempted on occasion, we promote ourselves to the God circle 
and we begin to think and we act like we're God. We know what's best. Life revolves around me. And that's kind of the essence of sin. But isn't it also a perversion? Did human beings begin to think, oh, no, no, we are just like all of the animals. We're just a, a further evolved form. We've lost the true sense of ourself, right? If you promote yourself to being God, that's not accurate. You demote yourself to being nothing but you know, the highest form of an animal, not in God's image. That's a perversion too. And so after the fall, this perversion exists where human beings are cut off from a sense of who they really are. They were made to live as stewards, made to live in submission to God, or now they're either usurping his position or treating themselves just like the rest of creation and not being in God's image, cut off from a true sense of self. We see that in our world, don't we? We live with that too. How about this one? Relational, cut off from others. Did you notice when um, God shows up? Now, you have to remember here, God's omniscient, right? He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's ever. He shows up in the garden. It's not that he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are hiding. He's not like saying, where are you guys? I can't. He knows where they are. When God asks questions, it normally is not to get information. He already has all that information. It's to help us understand the situation better. And so every other day, Adam and Eve would run to be in his presence. This day they're hiding and God kind of calls, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? It's not that he doesn't know where they are. He then says, did you eat from the, he knows they ate from the tree. It's not that he's getting information. He wants them to realize, yeah, God said don't. And we did, that's a problem, right? We rotated the triangle, we're in a world of trouble here. Um, what does Adam do? Well, the first thing, Adam, he's the representative, right? And he's the one that was alone with God when God gave the prohibition, don't eat from the tree. Adam was there, Eve was not there. She was relying on him to get the data. He says, Adam, did you eat from the tree? So Adam said, yes, I did, Lord, please forgive me. No, he didn't. He did what we do. Well, that woman <laughs> and that you gave me, right? He not only is blaming Eve, he's blaming God. And so if you wouldn't have given her to me, or if you would have given me a better model that didn't do that, we wouldn't be in this situation. Notice it's we in this situation. Wait. So he goes to Eve. What's Eve say? Yes, Lord. I've no. That serpent that you let into the garden, what are they doing? They're hiding, they're not taking ownership, and they're hurling abuse at other people. We're gonna see when we talk about clothing and what they do. Here's what human beings do after the fall always. We wanna cover our mistakes, and we want to uncover other people's mistakes. We want to cover our sin and manage what other people see so they think we're better than we are. But at the same time, we're covering. We want to uncover their sins. We want to uncover what they're doing that's wrong so that we feel better about ourselves, right? Why do we like all these crazy reality shows? And why do we like to learn all this dirt on you know, movie stars and stuff? Because we feel better, right? We want to uncover all of their mess as we cover our mess. And social media is a great place to cover, right? You don't post all the gross pictures of yourself. 
You post the best pictures of yourself. You don't post all the terrible things happening in your family. You post all the celebrative. And what do you do? You then expose other people's problems, right? The strategy hasn't changed that much, has it? We cover our own faults and flaws, and we uncover everybody else's. That's the first impulse that Adam and Eve both have. And lo and behold, that's the first impulse you and I have. Somebody comes up with an accusation. Someone comes up with something, you know, kind of confronting you. And if you really did it, what do you do? You deny it. And you blame somebody else. Just like Genesis 3. We just continue that narrative right out of the chapter. So how frosty do you think it was that night when Adam gets back in and he says, Hey, babe, how are you today? Uh, After he just, in in, in a sense, said... God, if I can stay in the garden and you kick her butt out, I'm good with that, right? Yeah, I'm guessing it was a little cold that night in that bedroom, right? Um, Hiding and hurling always leads to separation. Alienation has to be. But here's another form of alienation that sometimes we don't think about. Vocational alienation. They're cut off from work. Now, you know, Carlos a few weeks ago talked about the work that they had. Now, they don't have work like, you know, go to the office, sit at the computer. But they have work. Their work was to fill the earth with image bearers of God. Their work was to be stewards of creation. But notice, after the fall, they become difficult. Now there's going to be pain in filling the earth. Now they're going to be thorns and thistles as they steward the garden and as they steward creation. They're cut off from vocation. They're cut off from the world. It's no longer peace, harmony, and partnership in work. Now it's drudgery. Now it's pain. Now it's by the sweat of your brow and, you know, often broken limbs and bones and lots of other pains that allow us to make a living. So before we move on, let me just ask you, Have you ever, or do you ever experience alienation in those four areas? Do you ever feel separated, distant, cut off from God? Do you ever ask yourself, does God really care about me? Do you ever feel like your prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling and come back down? God doesn't, do you feel alienated? Yeah, join the crowd. That's Adam and Eve's story. That's our story. Do you ever feel cut off from a sense of true self? So what do we do? If we're not going to find our identity in our relationship with God, right? Where is human identity primarily anchored in the fact that we're in the image of God? Well, if that relationship's cut off, where do we now try to find our identity? Well, let let me give you a few choices. You can find your identity in what you accumulate whether it's money, whether it's a bank account, whether it's possessions, and your identity now isn't anchored to the fact that you're in the image of God as your creator and savior. Now you're trying to find your identity and you think you're somebody now because of what you own. Or you're trying to find your identity in what you accomplish. Maybe it's not what you accumulate, but it's the wins you have at work, the wins you have as a parent, the accomplishments that you have, the accumulations and the accomplishments, or maybe you're trying to find your identity in what you feel. You're cre- you know, we live in a world where 
Make your own identity, right? You can be anything you want to be. Go create. Yeah, that shows that we're cut off from a true sense of self, right? And you may not fall prey to some of, you know, the outlandish stuff you hear in our culture, but I know it's easy to try to find your identity in something other than your relationship with God. That's proving we're cut off from a relationship with God and ourselves. You ever feel that? I know you feel uh, cut off from other people, right? If you're married, I know you feel that. You feel it with your parents. You feel it with your kids. You feel it with work. You feel it with people at work. Do you ever feel cut off at work? You know, I was sitting at my desk this week thinking, um, you all have nothing but peace, harmony, and partnership in your jobs, right? Yeah, maybe the opposite of those three. Um, We experience the alienation in these four areas, and it just continues. It snowballs. Wear and tear. Time and trouble. It began in Genesis 3. It continues in our stories today. You see, the problem isn't just that there's alienation and trouble and problem out here. There's alienation, problem, and trouble in here. And that is the problem. Well, that really brings us to the third point. And that is, um, is there a remedy for this? Or is this uh, just kind of destined to go on? For Oh, it does continue the rest of the story. But, you know, God provides a remedy and promises the ultimate reset. In fact, he, he provides an initial reset and he promises the ultimate reset. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Adam and Eve uh, try to find their own identity and cover up their mistake, right? They're gonna cover themselves and blame, each, and blame others. They're gonna cover themselves and they do that with fig leaves. Look, I'm not much of a farmer or a gardener. Um, uh, I am really thankful for clothes. I'm not really like a clothes guy, but I'm thankful you all have clothes on right now because that'd be pretty nasty up here. Um, What do clothes do? Clothes hide faults, flaws, and flab, right? Faults, flaws, and flab are hidden by clothes. Um, That's why we wear clothes, right? And some of you don't like clothes. That's another problem we'll talk about another time, all right? so what do Adam and Eve do? They, they sense the problem, right? They sense now that, that they have failed. They're no longer innocent. They're full of shame. And what do they do? They take fig leaves. Well, how long are they going to last, right? As soon as you rip it off the fig tree, it, it starts to kind of die. And eventually, after a few days, you bump into each other. They crack and fall off. You got to find another fig leaf. Um, that's a lousy thing to do. What does God do? We read at the end of the chapter. God brings them leather clothing. They were like the first bikers, right? Um, God brings them leather vest, you know, little, whatever you call those pants, chaps or whatever. God, Um, And isn't it amazing? The amazing thing to me is that God provides covering for them when they realize they're uncovered because they disobeyed God. I mean, what kind of a loving God must this be, right? You disobey his clear command and he still comes to cover you. Wow. Well, uh, since they're leather garments, where'd they come from? Oh yeah, animals, animals. Yeah, animals that 
didn't sin. Animals that didn't turn the triangle 120 degrees. Like, huh. Innocent animals give their life to cover the sin of guilty people. What the heck's up with that? Picture of the gospel? Pointer to the cross? The reset that Jesus brings? That's where that's at, right? Long before the sacrificial system was instituted by Moses, we see animals giving their lives. Innocent animals giving their lives to cover the faults, flaws, and sins of the guilty. Wow. The rest of the story tells us where that's going. You know what's amazing? That God took the first step when he stepped back into the garden. You ever think about that? Uh, let me just Do you ever take the first step toward doing something, not realizing where that's going to lead? I, I thought about that a lot this week, and so I've got lots of examples. I could be here for an hour, Tonya. Let, let me just mention a few. When um, I guess I've gone to Harvey Cedars as a speaker for, I don't know, longer than I've been here, 40-some years, I guess. And when one of the first times we went, the girls were real little. And... Uh, Al Oldham, the executive director who just died this year, um, the, for, the first uh, executive director, Al used to do a sunrise hike once a week. So early in the morning, you would leave the conference, leave the, leave the conference, and you'd walk to Barnicket Lighthouse. That was like a thousand miles away. Well, it felt like that, right? It, it was like maybe, I don't know, four or five miles. And you'd walk on the beach. And Al would tell these really cool stories about when the whale got washed up and he blew him up. And he'd, he'd pick up starfish and tell you the story. Well, anyway, Ashley's real little. She decides she wants to go on the sunrise hike because she wants a shirt. And the only way you can get I survived the sunrise hike is to go on the hike. I said, Al, can I just buy one? No, you have to go on the hike. So I go, this is no lie. So we leave the conference. We walk down that... We no sooner hit the beach. We've got five miles to go. Our feet no sooner hit the sand. She, Daddy, I'm tired. Carry me. <laughs> I carried her, cursing under my breath at the Bible conference, all the way to that lighthouse. <laughs> Thankfully, people came and drove us back. When I took the first step out of our room, for going to, I never knew I was going to carry my daughter for like five miles. Last night at our house, our smoke detector goes off like in the middle of the night. My battle with the smoke detector system has gone on for like a month now. It started with a little chirping sound. I changed the battery. Then I changed other batteries. Then I had to call the guy. I tried to disconnect it. I paid an electrician to come and replace the battery. It cost me 200 hours to replace the battery. And it's still going off in the middle of the night. When I took the first step to change the battery, I didn't know where the sucker was leading. If you've ever done home repair, you know how this works, right? You know what? Here's a little throw rug. How about if we just pull it out? It's getting worn. You pull it up. Oh, you know what? The hardwood floor underneath, it needs to be fixed. Well, you can't just fix a patch of it. You need to redo the whole hardwood floor. Well, now the hardwood floor is making the sub-base look bad. Well, the sub-base is a different color. Now we need to paint the walls, uh, right? You, you never change the little throw rug if you know where it's going to go. <laughs> but you know what's incredible? 
when God took the first step into the garden and said, Adam and Eve, where are you? He knew exactly where that road would lead. It was going to lead to Moses and a sacrificial system, to David, a man after his own heart. And that journey was going to lead to the incarnation of his son and the death of that son on a cross. And he took the first step anyway. Yeah. God didn't have to show up in the garden. He said, don't eat, they ate, the end could have been written there. Every word after that begins with grace. He took the first step. But not just provision, the picture of the garments covering. How about the promise? Here it is. You notice, here's something cool you may not have thought of. God speaks of the consequences that will come to Adam and the consequences that will come to Eve. He does not curse Adam and Eve. They have consequences. He curses Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And here's the promise of victory. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. As he is crushing your head, he will be wounded, but that wound will not be permanent or eternal. Your demise is forever. That verse, Genesis 3.15, in theological circles is called the proto-euangelion. That's a fancy way of saying the first promise of the gospel. Right in the same chapter as the rebellion, the first announcement and the promise of the gospel. Make no mistake, God says, sin won't be the last line in this story. And Satan isn't going to be the one standing at the end. God says, this is my story. I started it. I'll conclude it. And in the middle of it, there'll be a crushing and there'll be a striking. But the striking of the heel will lead to a resurrection. And the resurrection will lead to a second coming. And at the second coming, the eternal demise of the serpent will be forever. Thank God for the provision. We want to cover ourselves and uncover others. You know what? Accept God's covering. It's a whole lot better than yours. And believe the promise. We may live in a world now that sure seems like hell's breaking out all around us. We know the end of the story. We know who stands at the end. And we know the ultimate reset has been accomplished and will one day be eternally evident for all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beginning of the story, not with the twists and the turns that speak of the crisis and rebellion, but for the provision that we see illustrated and for the promise that now we look back to its fulfillment and we look ahead to the ultimate fulfillment. 
Lord, help us as we live in a world to regularly reset our hearts and our minds to the message of the Scripture. Because we live in a world that wants to call our attention elsewhere with different priorities and values. Lord, help us to remember, you started this story. You'll close it. And amazingly, graciously, you've called us to be part of your team. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.